19 straight completions now for Drew Brees that ties his career high in a game. But I think he's searching for another mighty mark. Will he get it here? Yes! Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. There's a new most prolific passer in the history, Danavelle, and for at least the next five days, that claim will be absolutely undisputed. It's a sports fan on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. A lot to get into today because a lot's been going on here in the last 24 hours, really. As we were signing off yesterday, a ton of NFL news broke, a couple of free agent signings, one major suspension. How about the NHL? The rich keep getting richer, and it's been a long time since we included the Arizona Coyotes in the richer category. Plus, I'm going to tell you why the Milwaukee Bucks loss last night is not as bad as the national media is making it out to be. Don't get me wrong. It's an embarrassing loss, but it doesn't have the consequences the national media wants you to believe. We're going to get into that. Plus, it's Northern Michigan Tuesdays here on ESPN-UP. I've got some Northern Michigan audio for you. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour. Glad to have you along. First and foremost, though, Monday Night Football last night. Drew Brees with passing touchdown number 540. That breaks Peyton Manning's record for a career. Then he added one more for good measure later in the game. As the Saints win 34-7, to they eliminate the Colts from playoff contention. So Drew Brees right now has the NFL career marks in passing touchdowns at 541 to go along with passing yards. He already had that last night. He also broke that on Monday Night Football. That was last year. So now we have a stacked NFC, an even more loaded NFC, when you consider that four teams in the NFC have 11 wins. The Seahawks, the Saints, the Packers, and the 49ers. Then you've got the Vikings on everybody's heels at 10-4. and four. So five of the 16 NFC teams have 10 wins or better. Four of them have 11. And then you've got the NFC least. Whoever wins that division, Cowboys or Eagles, they might win it at 9-7. and seven. They might win it at 8-8. Eight and eight. <laughs> well, They could potentially win it at 7-8-1 at worst because they play each other. Somebody's got at least tie in that game. So we could potentially have a seven-win division winner hosting a playoff game, hosting a team that has won at least 10 or 11 games with still two to go. That's what the NFC looks like right now. Here's what our pick'em standings look like as we are 15 weeks into the year. Jake Durant and I are still on top. We're both 49 and 26. We both had New Orleans last night. All of us did, in fact. Ryan Steeg and Tyree Smith are each 46 and 29, so they're three games back. John Michael Hoefling is 40 and 35. Those are our pick'em standings. 15 weeks into the year, I'm trying to break that tie with Jake. I tell you what, though, that wasn't the only big story from the NFL yesterday. What else was trending? Well, Janoris Jenkins, who was cut last week by the New York Giants, that led to our discussion about how Pat Shermer is the most boring individual in NFL history. Janoris Jenkins was picked up by the New Orleans Saints. They continue to love the New York Giants' sloppy seconds from the secondary. Sloppy secondaries. Remember, they picked up Eli Apple last year when he was cut midseason. So Janoris Jenkins who was let go following his lack of remorse when tweeting a derogatory name. He called a fan a derogatory name on Twitter, a fan who was being critical of him. Elsewhere, Terrell Suggs, one of the most talented yet veteran 
aging out veteran edge rushers of our time, who still, I'm, I'm going to say, has something left to contribute. Absolutely. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He was let go by the Cardinals last week, was picked up by the Kansas City Chiefs, probably in a move to block conference rival Baltimore from picking him up. That was his old stomping grounds. Kansas City picks him up, a guy who's going to do well in that defense. I really do believe that. I really do believe that he's going to thrive with Steve Spagnuolo as his defensive coordinator. Terrell Suggs goes to Kansas City. What else happened in the NFL yesterday? Well, the Carolina Panthers are on to their third quarterback of the season. Talked about it yesterday in the show, how the Panthers are one of the 10 teams most likely to be looking for a new quarterback this offseason. Well, maybe the guy that they've wanted all along is already on their roster. The Panthers are naming Will Greer, who they drafted in the third round this year, as their starter for the Colts coming up in Week 16. So Carolina benching Kyle Allen going to Will Greer to see, is this the guy here in the final couple weeks of the year, or do we need to go out and get another quarterback this offseason? I think the big story from yesterday, though, not to overshadow what Drew Brees did, but maybe an even bigger story came out of Seattle, where Josh Gordon was suspended for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. This is now suspension number six for Josh Gordon since May of 2013. Six suspensions in six years. Josh Gordon is one of those guys who had all the talent to be great. And now he's suspended indefinitely because, again, violates the league's substance abuse policy. Here's the thing. People will talk about Josh Gordon. I talked about this during his last suspension, which was about a year ago now. Josh Gordon is going to be looked at as one of those guys who valued marijuana over football he valued getting high over a potential hall of fame nfl career and that's the way people are going to look at him that's going to be his legacy i don't believe that i really don't believe that josh gordon by all accounts is a great guy and did he make a mistake continuously absolutely he did i'm not trying to make up for what he's done or give him a free pass anything like that but listen to our own freddie coleman of freddie and fitzsimmons and his take on Josh Gordon from his show last night. Why can't he keep it together? Why can't he do that when he has so much to lose? Maybe because Josh Gordon doesn't know that football can be taken away from him for good. Because he's been a nice guy. Because he's been a good teammate. Because so many people will speak up for him. Once in the NFL now, and Hall of Famers who used to play in the NFL. Here's what I don't like about Freddie's take. Freddie is talking about Josh Gordon as if he had a normal, fully functioning brain. To somebody with a healthy, fully functioning brain, that makes perfect sense. You've got a Hall of Fame career in front of you. You've got everything to lose. A prolific career, all that money, all that wasted talent. You've got all that that you're sacrificing just to get high. Here's the thing. Freddie is talking about Josh Gordon as if he has a normal fully functioning brain. And I I truly believe that it has become quite clear to us for a number of years now that that is not the case. Freddie does not appear to have anybody close to him, a loved one if you will, that struggled with addiction. And I can tell you that people who've struggled with addiction no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be substance abuse. It can be anything more or less healthy if there is such a thing doesn't have to be substance abuse. Addictions, especially harmful ones, do not have to be alcohol or drugs. 
marijuana, anything like that. But anybody who does struggle with addiction uses that as an escape. I believe Josh Gordon absolutely knows what he stands to lose. He is 100% aware of what he stands to lose if he is caught, which he was, and he's suspended again, which he was, a sixth time in six years. Josh Gordon absolutely knows that. But Josh Gordon is dealing with something mentally, whether that be anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, something like that. He's dealing with something. And he absolutely knows that he's violating the NFL substance abuse policy and that he is risking his livelihood, his NFL career. But he's willing to do that because that's the only way he can feel peace. Because that's the only way he can escape his reality. And his reality is that he is mentally going to battle with himself every day. And that just drains you. That drains you. I've known too many people that have struggled with either addiction, depression, both. And they self-medicate to treat it. And I fully believe that's what Josh Gordon is doing. He loves football. He's not a guy that's just valuing drugs or marijuana more than playing football. I don't think he's stupid in that sense that he just plain wants to get high. Obviously, it's not smart the way he's handling it. But he's doing it so that he can find relief from his own mental battle against himself every day. Now, I'm not condoning what he did or trying to put up a defense for him. Because if anything, he's got to go out and advocate for himself. He's got to check himself into rehab. He's got to do something. Not just for his football career. Do it for yourself. Do it for your own well-being. For your own quality of life. Because this isn't going to go away. It's work for people. I'm not saying that Josh Gordon's incapable of saying no to drugs. Because people do recover from drugs, recover from alcohol. They find ways to battle it and stay sober for years. It's possible. But Josh Gordon is going about it the wrong way. He's not putting himself in rehab like he needs to. His support system clearly is not up to par. Whether that be family, friends, his teammates, coaches, whoever that is. They're not up to par. In fact, this is Pete Carroll. His comments on Josh Gordon getting suspended. You know, my heart goes out to, to Josh having to face this again. You know, he's up against it and, and all this poses a great challenge to him. Unfortunately, he'll have the benefit of all of the league's resources to support him and, and, and to help him. And we'll wish him the very best in, you know, taking care of business. And, and uh, that's very unfortunate, you know. The work ethic he brought was one, but his, uh, his getting along with people and being good to work with and, and to talk to and all that and to deal with on a regular basis, he was really, he was great. And so uh, we were not aware, you know, that, that there was anything that, to be concerned about other than, you know, the history and which we knew about. Come on, Pete. You weren't aware that there was anything to be concerned about? Yeah, you know his history. But you made national headlines five weeks ago as being the only team who wanted to take a chance on Josh Gordon when the Patriots released him. You knew, you had to know, that there was something to be concerned about. Now here's the thing with Josh Gordon. I just want to put the finishing touches on this. Because I'm not trying to create excuses for him. I'm not trying to create a cop-out. And to all those who struggled with addiction, with mental health, 
I salute you guys, and, and especially those of you who managed to stay sober, get back into the right track. I mean, keep fighting the fight, you guys. I mean, it's, it is something that people truly don't understand fully. Josh Gordon is not saying that I'm going to give up my NFL career just to get high for a night. Josh Gordon is a guy who's saying, I'm unwell. I am battling my own demons so much to the point that I know I am risking my future, my legacy, my financial stability as an NFL wide receiver and maybe a Hall of Famer because I'm battling my own demons so hard. That's what Josh Gordon is saying. It's not, I'm just going to get high for the fun of it. Josh Gordon uses marijuana as an escape from his own demons. And is that right? Absolutely not. He needs to get into rehab. He needs to take charge of his own life. It can be done because several people have overcome addictions. I'm not trying to create excuses for Josh Gordon. I'm not trying to cop out for him in a sense. But it's not as cut and dry as saying that this guy is stupid and that he keeps blowing chances just because he wants to get high, just because he wants to value fun over football. He's not using marijuana recreationally. And again, I'm not trying to justify what he's done. I'm just saying, don't condemn the guy. Pray for the guy. Send him good vibes, well wishes, what have you, whatever you're into. Because that's what he needs. This is not as simple as just saying, I'm not going to get high and risk my career. I'm going to find a different way to have fun. This is a guy who goes to war with his own brain every day. And he's willing to risk what could be an NFL Hall of Fame career. He could be, talent-wise, one of the all-time greats. And he is willing to give all that up. And he's well aware of that. He's willing to do that just to have a little peace. Just to let himself quit fighting his own mind. That's where Josh Gordon is. That's what addiction is like. And I would wager several of those in the audience right now can understand that feeling. To some degree or another. With that, let's take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk about the Bucks and what happened last night and what's going to happen going forward. Plus, one athlete, this is a feel-good story, by the way, one athlete is using his platform as every athlete should. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. One athlete who's fairly new to the limelight is using his platform in a way I think all of us wish we had the opportunity to do so. That story coming up during this segment, but first let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. It was scripted perfectly for them. They could take the floor against the Lakers Thursday night, winners of 19 straight, finally get people talking about them as they should be. Milwaukee put together maybe the quietest 18-game winning streak in all sports history. People just weren't giving the Bucks credit. They step onto the floor last night. At home, the reigning MVP drops 48 and collects 14 rebounds. And you're looking across the floor at the Dallas Mavericks, a team that could not play defense with Luka Doncic on the floor. And now Luka, who may win the MVP this year, who's going to challenge Giannis for the MVP, is out for two weeks. 
So a team that can't play defense is now severely handicapped offensively as well. And it's the Mavericks who come away with the 120-116 victory. A perfect storm against the Milwaukee Bucks. As the Bucks lose for the first time in 19 tries last night, dropping their record to 24-4. and Giannis had a big night. He did his part. Maybe even then some. 48 points, 14 rebounds, 18-31 shooting. There just wasn't a lot around him. Out of the other starters, Chris Middleton had nine. Wesley Matthews, six. Dante DiVincenzo, five. Brooke Lopez with three. Kyle Korver was the next highest scorer with 17 off the bench. He had a couple of guys off the bench in double figures. Korver, Ilyasova, and Hill. So yeah, Giannis did his part. It wasn't nearly enough. Now here's what you've probably been hearing if you... Listen to national sports radio today. They act like the sky is falling. Like this is a microcosm of the Bucks season. Let me tell you what, Bucks fans. Throw out last night's tape. Just burn that tape. It means nothing anymore. I don't want to say it's a fluke of a game. I don't know that anything in pro sports ever is. I take that back. There are definitely some flukes. But I don't believe last night was necessarily a fluke. I just don't believe it was a microcosm of the Bucks season as a whole. I don't think that gives us an accurate look at what the Bucks are going to accomplish this season. Because the Bucks were a team that, yeah, they were on an 18-game winning streak. Yeah, they were winning, but just like the Bills or the 49ers this year, us in the media would say, yeah, but so? They're winning, but so? We didn't quite believe it. Well, at least a lot of the national media didn't believe it. I still believe in the Bucks, as you should too. The Bucks have one of the most loaded rosters you could ask for. Last night, yeah, it was a bad loss. It was absolutely an embarrassing loss. You got beat by the Doncic-less Dallas Mavericks. It was embarrassing. Make no mistake. But throw that tape out because it does not reflect on the Bucks season as a whole. This Lakers game coming up Thursday night could not have come at a better time for the Bucks. You get a national platform, a chance to right in the ship, to make a statement, to get back in the good graces of the NBA media. This opportunity could not have come at a better time for Milwaukee. You completely throw out what happened last night. It happened. What's done is done. It was a bad loss. It was embarrassing. Absolutely. Throw that out. Because it does not represent the Bucks' season. There's nothing you can take from last night. That will be a microcosm of that Bucks team. Maybe the performance from Giannis is about the only thing. Giannis keeping his team in that game. That might be the only thing that you can take away from that game and project it on the Bucks season going forward. Nothing else. Burn that tape. You've got an opportunity to right in the ship, start a new week this week when you take on the Lakers on primetime TV on Thursday. Nothing that happened last night is a microcosm of the Bucks season. The Bucks have that platform coming up. They got a chance to right in the ship and show the world that the Bucks are for real. That Bucks basketball, despite the way last season ended, despite the way last night ended, that the Bucks are for real. And they are, as of right now, a favorite in the East. I picked the Bucks to win the East, at least to be the number one overall seed when the playoffs come around. And I stand by that. Absolutely, I do. Last night still doesn't discourage me, although if you've listened to National Sports Talk Radio today, they would have you believe the sky is falling in Milwaukee and they're hitting the fraud alert on them. 
Hey, speaking of having a national platform in which to do some good, I want to talk about Joe Burrow. He just won the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. A guy who could not start at his hometown school, Ohio State, comes from a very rural, very economically challenged part of Ohio, and he used his Heisman speech, his platform for good, to impact the lives of thousands of people down in southeast Ohio where he's from. This is Joe Burrow talking about where he grew up following his acceptance of the Heisman Trophy Saturday night. Coming from, from southeast Ohio, it's, it's a very, very impoverished area, and the, the, the poverty rate is almost two times the, the national average, and there's so many people there that, that don't have a lot. And I'm up here for all those, all those kids in Athens and in Athens County that, you know, go home to not a lot of food on the table, hungry after school. And you guys can be up here too. Since Joe Burrow made that speech on Saturday, ABC has reported that the Athens Ohio Food Bank has raised over sixty thousand dollars, and that was as of last night. I don't know what they're at now. But I know what ABC reported last night said it was at $60,000 in a matter of two days from Joe Burrow raising awareness using his platform for an issue that's touching so many people where he grew up. Good for Joe Burrow. You like seeing it. Let's get to a little hockey before we hit the break. I mentioned earlier, the rich get richer. And it's been a long time since the Arizona Coyotes were considered rich. I thought they might have an outside shot at the playoffs last year, and they did. They were one of the last teams eliminated toward the regular season. Just missed the playoffs by that much. This year, they're a first-place team. They're leading the Pacific Division with 42 points. Their record is 19-12-4. Edmonton's also got 42 points. Arizona's got a game in hand. Yesterday, they acquire Taylor Hall. New Jersey was cleaning house. Hall's already been traded once this decade. It was probably the worst trade of this decade back in June of 2016. New Jersey's fired John Hines are having a terrible season. They decide to clean house, and Taylor Hall makes his way to Arizona as part of a five-player trade. It's been a long time since you could say that the Coyotes are part of the rich group. The rich are getting richer. That's a reality, as it is right now. I loved Rick Tockett when he was with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won two cups with him as an assistant to Mike Sullivan. He was just too good to be an assistant coach. And Tockett's gone to Arizona, and in his second year, he's got the Coyotes in playoff position. With that, let's take a time now. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan audio for you. Hockey plus basketball. Wildcat Tuesdays here on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Major League Soccer announced today that they will be awarding Charlotte an expansion franchise. Charlotte will be the 30th team in the league and will join other expansion franchises in Miami, Nashville, St. Louis, and Sacramento. The Utah Jazz fan who was banned for an altercation with Russell Westbrook last season is suing both Westbrook and the Jazz organization for a total of $100 million, claiming that he and his girlfriend are both victims of defamation and have suffered emotional distress. And finally, a Missouri man has been arrested after breaking into multiple women's homes to tell them that he respects them as part of International Women Day. 
That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along per usual. And per usual on Tuesdays during the school year, it is Northern Michigan Tuesday here on ESPN-UP. I've got some audio to play for you. That of Matt Mackerzak, men's basketball head coach, and Grant Patoli, men's hockey head coach. Both of them with pretty darn good weekends. Let's start with basketball. I had Coach on here yesterday. He gave his weekly presser earlier today. Got his first taste of the Michigan Tech rivalry. It was cool. Um, I think in the moment you knew it was cool just winning, but I think since time's gone on, I've probably appreciated a little more the fact first game of the rivalry at Tech, a game-winning shot with the buzzer actually sounding. I don't know how many of those you're ever really a part of. A lot of times there's still a few seconds left, and it's not a true game winner. So to have a true game winner go in, first game at Tech, um, probably about as cool as you could draw it up. So um, obviously really happy about it, and I think – one of the things that someone said was just what a cool memory it's going to be for Marcus going forward. And, I, again, that was something I maybe didn't think of right in the moment. But um, yesterday and, and even uh, Sunday night, I was like, that's something. He's going to be 45 years old, and that's still going to be one of those things he'll never forget. And um, as a senior who's had a really good career and has been so good this year, he deserves to have a, a great moment like that. So I thought that was the part that was Honestly, afterwards, I was more happy for Delapo than I was for Marcus, and I think our team was the same. Not in the sense of, you know, just because it was such a mature play out of him and for him as a sophomore, and I think that's been his biggest thing that he's been working on all year is just maturing and and taking the next step from a, a young guy that plays a few minutes to a veteran that's playing heavy, heavy minutes. So for him to make the right play, um, make a super unselfish play um, in that situation, I think that's that's just it, it's something that I don't know if he was capable of not that long ago. Where Marcus has always been capable of knocking down an open shot. So in a lot of ways, you know, Delapo just subbed in. He wasn't even playing the last five minutes of the game, and we put him in for that one offensive possession, and it was kind of a gut feel thing. And I, I said to him right before I put him in, "Hey, you got a shot in you?" He's like, "Yeah, I got a shot." me I'm like okay go in there and knock it down and even the last play I he was right in front of our bench and I said you're going to catch it drive left don't even think take two dribbles and go lay it in um so he didn't listen in the sense of he didn't do exactly what he was told he made a better play because they helped off of Marcus which I don't think I ever saw coming and um so for him to just do all that um it's just a great it's a great moment in the sense of it isn't just the one play, but it's to me a, a maturity thing from him, and hopefully it can be a kind of the start of something and, and not just a one-off blip. His guys raced out to a 17-4 lead to start the game. I asked Coach what went into that hot start. Partly, and in, in last week I talked about how we missed a lot of shots, and, and they missed a lot of shots. I mean, that's the one part where you don't want to get over the top about we played so, so well when some of it is fortunate. Um, you know, they had a, a cold night shooting. But at the same time, I thought we were mature and we moved the ball early. And I think a lot of it really was we, we were irritated about the previous weekend. And so we had a, a week of practice that was our best week of practice and our definitely our most spirited week of practice. And so I think we were just kind of really excited to get to play again. Um, obviously the tech rivalry adds to that, but I think no matter who we were going to play, we were going to be excited to start start the game. And um, so I think that was part of it. We just kind of came out with a little bit different edge to us and made some shots. That always helps when the ball goes in. It gives you some energy in some other ways too. It was a total team effort for Northern. A lot of guys stepped up and made some big shots down the stretch. 
If you look at the last five, six minutes of the game, one of the things that was kind of unique was everyone stepped up in some ways. It wasn't like one guy made all the shots down the stretch. It was um, Miles made a huge shot. Uh, Marcus made a huge shot. Sam and Alec both made huge shots. Um, Troy was kind of the one carrying our offense down the stretch. Um, so it was, it was really balanced. And maybe that's going to be the answer. Maybe it's not going to be one guy. Maybe it's going to be a team effort where every night all five guys on any given possession have a chance to do it. And hopefully, you know, some nights we have a hot hand that we can ride out a little bit. Um, but it probably is going to have to be a little bit more balanced effort going forward where we just make the right play, we get the right shot, and hopefully it goes in more times than not. And I think that's just going to kind of have to be this year's team's identity more than anything else. Coach is one of those guys that loves the environment. He loves environments like that. He can thrive off that. Really enjoyed what he saw in Houghton on Sunday. It's tough. Obviously, it's a tough environment to play in. Um, I think the key was just our guys needing to know that we thought we were going to win, especially when they started kind of coming back. I think um, there's 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 an ability of of a team that's not had as much success to sometimes not step up when the game gets close, especially after a big lead. So I think it was kind of just trying to will them forward a little bit and be confident that they could do it and close it down. Um, Obviously, playing at Tech, I I think you know some of the challenges you're going to face and and some of the obstacles that are going to be present. And so you want to kind of fight that with also not overreacting to some of that and saying kind of, calm and balanced and I think we did a good job of that I think we fought through some of that and we're pretty calm the last eight minutes of the game which is really when you need to be calm I think I think there's some time for emotion and early in the game middle of the game uh, I don't want our kids being emotional but then I think the last six to eight minutes you got to kind of turn those emotions off and just execute and hopefully Hopefully they're going to make one more mistake than us because a lot of times the end of games, it kind of comes down to who makes the mistakes, not necessarily even who makes the plays. And obviously the last play was a classic example of that where you know, we made a good play, but it also was kind of fueled by them making a little out-of-character play down the stretch. So it's kind of that emotion early and then, and then let the calmness take you down, down the stretch. Coach talked about the way his team handles close games and how they've been evolving since the first week of the season. I'd like to think it's us growing up. Uh, for sure, the Northwood Saginaw weekend is as bad as it was for us. Um, the losing two close games obviously gives you a little bit different perspective on how to handle close games. Um, and I thought, and every team's different in how they handle close games. And this game, uh, the one thing that was different was we were much calmer. Um, and it would have, we kind of had every reason to maybe not be calm, blowing the lead. And that was the part. A, the, the the shots going in or not going in again. I don't want to overfocus on that, but the calmness. I think that was the that was the lesson learned. And you're not going to win every close game just because you're calm and composed. But you're going to give yourself a lot better chance than if you're the other way. So that was the part I was probably most proud of the group. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we probably are capable of doing that a couple weeks ago and even last weekend. Um, and I didn't think we we necessarily weren't calm down the stretch. But we, were, we got calm the last minute. This one, I thought we were calm the last six or eight minutes, and I think that was the biggest difference. So now a couple of non-conference games for his squad to close out 2019. They've got Hillsdale, one of the top teams in Division Two, coming to town on Thursday. I know quite a bit in the sense of our kids played them last year, so they're familiar with them. And then they have a lot of kids that um, I'd previously recruited, similar to Tech. Um, their coach is actually... We don't know each other that well, but he's from about 10 minutes from where I'm from. 
and so the recruiting base is a lot of Wisconsin kids and a lot of kids that um, we're pretty familiar with. So uh, they're good. I'd say they're really similar to Tech. They're 3-0 in their league. Um, they play Lewis tonight, who we played. They played a lot of teams in our league, being in Michigan. Um, they're going to be disciplined. They're going to be fundamentally sound. Um, we're going to have to play really, really well and kind of match a lot of that fundamental stuff if we're going to be able to um, compete with them. But um, also at the same time, it's a team that I think we feel like if we play our best again, um, we, we'll have a pretty good shot with. That's Matt Macker, Zach, Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach. His team getting set to close 2019 with Hillsdale and Rippon, coming off that big win over Tech on Sunday. Let's take a timeout when we come back. More Northern Michigan audio. I've got Grant Patoli giving us an update on the hockey team following their victory over number one Minnesota State. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it's all available for you on demand with The Sports Pen podcast on our ESPN-UP app. You can get it from the Apple I Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. I've got some Grant Patoni audio. His his team, of course, beating the top-ranked team in the country this weekend. I'm going to get you his reaction and what the team is looking at going forward. First, though, I want to make a somewhat of an announcement. A programming note is probably a better way to say it. As you know, Christmas is next week. A week from tonight will be Christmas Eve. I will be getting on a plane Saturday morning. I'll be heading to Iowa, and I will be gone until the 29th. So this is what's going to happen. Our office is going to be open next week. We're still going to have sports pen content. I'll be out of the office, but we're still going to have something for you. This is the plan. Our office is closed Tuesday and Wednesday for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So Monday and Thursday, because we have a bowl game on Friday. I think we have Sparty on Friday. I think we're airing Sparty's bowl game here on Friday. I'll double check. But this is what's going on Monday and Thursday during our 4 o'clock hour next week. We're coming to the end of a decade. The sports pen turns 12 years old this year. So the sports pen has been around through the entirety of the 2010 decade. So what I did is I reached out to the four hosts of the sports pen prior to me. Ryan 1, Ryan 2, Blake, and Casey Ford the OG sports director here at ESPN-UP and host of the Sports Pen. And we all sat down together and we recapped this decade. We talked about some of our favorite memories, our favorite stories. That's going to be a two-hour-long special that's going to be played next week. Part one, the first hour, Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock. And then part two, Thursday at 4 o'clock during the Sports Pen hours. We're going to have both hours back-to-back Sunday starting at 10. That runs until noon during what would usually be the In Case You Missed It slot. So we've got the decade recap. All five of us, the current and former hosts of the Sports Pen, getting together, talking about the decade, our favorite memories, our favorite stories, favorite games we've called, interviews we've had, the people that we've met, and how the UP has helped us as professionals. It's going to be a really fun show. Again, I'll be out of the office from the 21st to the 29th. I'll be back in Iowa, but we're still going to have some good content for you over the break. So it's my hope you keep tuning in here to ESPN-UP. And then Sparty on Friday the 27th. I do believe that's the Pinstripe Bowl, and that can be heard here in ESPN-UP. Regardless, whenever Sparty is playing, we'll have that game here in ESPN-UP. That goes for Michigan 
for Wisconsin, for all of our local teams' bowls. There's no blackout restrictions when it comes to bowl games. So all of our local teams, their bowl games will be carried here in ESPN-UP. I don't know if Sparty's is that Friday the 27th. If it is, that's it. But whenever it is, we will have Sparty and their bowl game against Wake Forest here at ESPN-UP and whatever game is going on at that time, Friday the 27th. Either way, let's get into some Grant Petoni audio as his team took down the top-ranked team of the country this weekend. Well, the first question you got to ask Coach, has it sunk in yet? And I, I don't want to downplay it because it was, it was such a good effort. Um, but I we expected to win. You know, going into that weekend, we expected to win a game. And... Hoping to win on Friday and play with a little house money on Saturday. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case. I would have liked to play that game on Friday without the five. Uh, I thought our energy was good. And, you know, it really came down to, you know, probably the play of Nolan. And, and Nolan, he played outstanding. But he, he, we talk about this a lot as, as, um, as a team, you know, in that position in particular. You can give up two goals a ton of different ways. Um, and some of those ways you're going to win. Some of those ways you're going to lose. And, you know, lots of times the the deciding factor becomes who gives up the first one. And, you know, the first probably four or five minutes of, the, of Saturday, um, they didn't have a lot of scoring chances, but they were, they were in our end. And, you know, they had about five or six shots. And... Um, the toughness Nolan showed after being pulled the night before, um, I think that was a, a, a true testament to, to where he's at and where he's come. Um, I did apologize to him on Saturday um, for taking him out of the game. When, when you The vantage point from the bench, when you see pucks go in the middle of the net, you think your goalie doesn't see it. And he's, and he's not seen it that night. And he doesn't have it. Um, we do have a different vantage point from behind the net, which is a camera that he couldn't see either. So, you know, for him to get pulled, I didn't talk to him about that until Saturday morning. So he had to go through the rest of the game Friday, had to sleep on it Friday night, come to the rink Saturday and have no idea he was playing until 11.45. Um, That's a lot of growth and maturity in him. We know who the scorers are for this Northern team. We know who the big names are. We know the Lochrins. We know the Craigheads. We know the Blues. But it was the Van Unens, it was the Newhouses, those guys stepping up and making big plays for the team this weekend. It just went to show off the team's depth. I think the biggest thing for us has been consistency. Um, only played one real poor game. Um, but it's, it's you know, 85% or 90% versus 100% from everybody all in. Whether it's the first shift of the game and Vinny DeMay blocking a shot and, you know, losing feeling in his hand for almost the whole period. And continuing to play, to Van Uyn's first goal and Newhouse scoring to the end of the second period, and, and they kind of had it going on us a little bit, and we had the Volton line out there against their top players, uh, Rio Remco and, and Vesio, and they had gone through a, a line change. So they start with one line, they kind of had it in our end for about 45 seconds, and then they change, and out come their big guns. And usually that's a recipe for a scoring chance against or a goal or um, because a lot of factors fall into that. You know, you, you break people down through fatigue and through execution, and, and when you're already fatigued and now the guys that can really execute come on the rink, um, they didn't get a chance. And, you know, Luke and, and 
Ryland and some of those guys really gutted it out to, to extend that uh, puck over the blue line so we could get a change. Um, you know, to, to the third period, giving up five shots. You know, that they've done, you know, in 54 periods of play, they've given up five or less four times or had five or less four times. So, you know, a lot of those were not, none of those were in the third period. They were all in the first. So, you know, that compounds that even more when they're, when they're behind. So, yes, it does. Um, you know, with the addition of a couple players and, and getting healthy is going to help, you know, and um, we've played the last four games with 10 healthy forwards. And, you know, to gut that out against them, um, does show you where you can go, leaves you in a good taste in the first half, and now hopefully we can get healthy and have some options for lines and deep pairs and power plays and, and things like that. Block shots were a huge part of Northern's victory Saturday night. Rylan Uramko led the way. He had a season high in that category. Just showed the unselfishness of that team. Big time. You know, big time. And, and, and they're proud guys. And, and on Saturday, um, you know, when, when I show the video on Saturday, I show a recap of the game. I don't show, you know, I shouldn't say that. I, I first show adjustments we're going to make, uh, areas where I think that we can do some things that will help our chances to win, and then I show a recap. And players are proud. And when they see themselves and, um, you know, and, and again, it's not like they're not trying, but there's a big difference between 95% and 100%. And that's first two steps. That's... 50-50 battle, that's, you know, a, a time where maybe you got 30% to win the puck, and, and you do. And then, you know, you see yourself on that on that video, and the reaction and, and the way that we responded, you know, says a lot about our team. And um, we've done that this year. We've responded every time that I've challenged them. Um, you know, now the key for us is going to be how do you play on Friday without me having to challenge you Saturday morning, you know, we got to be able to play Friday to, to, you know, be able to string some games together again where now all of a sudden you build momentum and you win two in a row, three in a row, all of a sudden you're at five and, you know, and you're putting money in the bank. Um, in, in that in that game, I think the number was sufficiently high, but the time and the situation and the effort to block them, that was sky high. And, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm in the lane, I just get hit by it. It was, I got to adjust myself, I got to sacrifice my body where it's not hitting me in the shin pad, it's hitting me where I don't have any pad, whether it's the ribs, whether it's the forearm, um, wherever it is. And we all know those hurt, and there's no getting around it. It's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt bad. And, you know, that, that you're right on, was that, that was 100% uh, commitment by our team that I don't care where it hits me, I'm just not letting it get by me. And, you know, that's, that's what good teams do. They do whatever it takes to give yourself the best chance to win. And sometimes that is blocking a shot when you know it's really going to hurt. So now Northern's got a significant amount of time off. What's the plan for the guys as we approach the holiday break? Guys were released on uh, Saturday after the game. So lots of guys went home uh, Sunday, Monday. They'll return the 26th. We'll practice 26-27. Um, our opponent does play a game the Monday that we play them. So I have to really think about that. You know, how are we going to get our body, body armor up and um, get our anger sufficiently high because theirs will be after playing a game. Um, you know, they might have to do a couple different things in practice than we've done typically. Uh, but hopefully this win, you know, you go home and 
you know, what you're going to hear at home is great job. You know, you beat the number one team in the country. They only lost once before you played them. Um, you know, all positive things. So hopefully that, you know, gives them a jump in their step. And, and when you mentally feel good about where you're at, your mind's a powerful thing and, and you can push a little harder. And that allows me to coach harder. And, and hopefully that's the case. Ryan Stig, the beat writer for the team, is on here Fridays. And last week, prior to game one against Minnesota State, he talked about what it could mean for the team if they weren't able to grab a win against the Mavericks and would have to go into the long holiday break with a bad taste in their mouth. Now that they do have a win over the top-ranked team of the country, what's a locker room like? I would say, you know, as much as before Saturday night, we, we, had, some, we had some tough things happen. Um, and we played couple games that you play that game a hundred times you're going to win it 95 of them and we were on the losing end of a couple of those and um you know the the gut shot to to Huntsville where we we played poorly and um you know all those things affect your psyche you know finishing the year on on a high note and you know the difference between winning that game versus tying that game or losing that game uh, is monumental because it's, you don't get to play this weekend. You don't get to practice Monday. You're off for 10 days, and what you remember is the last thing you did. And you know, hopefully that gives us a little bit of extra pep. Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni, his team heading into the break on a high note, taking down Minnesota State, the top-ranked team in the country at the time. They since dropped to number two. Well, I tell you what, before we sign off and call today, let me give a special shout-out to the Westwood girls basketball team and Madeline Koski. Last night here in ESPN-UP, Madeline became the fourth player in Westwood program history to reach 1,000 career points, and ESPN-UP was there for the call. Maddie with the basketball between the circles, right-hand dribble, crosses over, driving the basket, left with the left hand, around the ribbon in! Welcome to the 1,000-point club, Maddie Koski! Ishpeming AD Terry Roberts, kind enough to stop the game and recognize Maddie. Gets hugs from Kirk Corcoran, Coach Dieterle. And the team. All the team. Fans on both sides of the stand standing up applauding her. All right, let's get back to the game now. <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> Congratulations to Maddie and the Patriots on a 2-0 start to the season. Patriot boys 2-0 as well as they run wild on Hancock last night, 91-44. to You can hear Maddie and the Patriot girls tomorrow night here on ESPN-UP. Starting tomorrow, we've got three games in three nights. Patriot basketball to close out the 2019 portion of our schedule. We've got girls basketball at Menominee. I'll be there along with Jared Koski and the call. Jared and I are at Westwood High School on Thursday when Manistique comes to town. And then Friday night, a road trip to Kingsford. I'll be there with boys action. And it's my hope that you join me. I tell you what, before we sign off, once again, a reminder for what's coming up next week. Again, I'm getting on a plane Saturday morning. I'm heading to Iowa for Christmas. I'll be there until the 29th. We still will have a sports pen while I'm gone. So what we're doing, in case you missed this earlier, Monday and Thursday, we're going to be doing a very special episode of the sports pen, recapping 
the decade. I'm going to talk with the four others who hosted the sports pen before me, Casey, Ryan, Ryan, and Blake, and we're going to get their thoughts, their perspective on some of their favorite stories, favorite interviews, favorite games to call, some of our best memories from the 2010s as a decade. Part one is going to air during the Sports Pen Hour on Monday. Part two is going to air Thursday, and then the whole show, all two hours of it, will air Sunday at 10 o'clock. You can get that available on our app as well. It'll be in the on-demand at some point. It's going to be a fun show, though. I had a lot of fun getting together with those guys, all sitting down and talking about some of our favorite memories. It was funny hearing how much the same thing would come up between each of us. When, you know, when one of us would ask a question and everybody comes up with the same answer, almost everybody, I should say, it was weird how many of the same answers we gave to certain questions. I tell you what, that's coming up next week, Monday, Thursday, and then Sunday. Plus, it'll be on our on demand at some point. That's it for us, though, on this Tuesday afternoon. I appreciate you tuning in and hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, for Eastern 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoop signing off for ESPN, UPWZM, Ishpeming Marquette.